Hi everyone, I'm Yasmina and this is Conversations Over Coffee, a podcast where I speak to inspiring Palestinians. Today, we're in conversation with Sanavon. Born Marwan Abdul Hamid, he's a 21-year-old musical artist based out of Southern California. His Palestinian roots drive his passion when making music, especially in Nirvana and Gaza, Haifa and Tesla, and his latest release, Cage Bird Sing. Hi Marwan, how are you? I like how you said Saint Louis. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get my uh, French accent in there, show it off a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good pronunciation. Man. How are you? I'm amazing. I'm amazing. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, yeah, it's my, it's my pleasure. So I want to start at the beginning. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I was born in Jerusalem, the, the holy city. I was actually born in Jerusalem because I was born during the Second Intifada. So my parents were living in Gaza at the time. And it just, you know, there weren't that many good doctors in Gaza. So my parents decided, there was like a whole thing, man. They decided to go to Jerusalem so I could be born. That was, uh, it, was a, it was a time of, of conflict. And I grew up in Gaza for seven years. And then in 2007, uh, during the civil war that happened between Fatah and Hamas, during the elections, we moved to Jordan, we had to move because of various like attempts on my parents' life, we just keep it back. So we had to dip. And my mom, you know, being French Algerian, nothing to do with Palestine, she's like, fuck this, like I'm not staying here. This is so this is really unsafe. And my dad is Palestinian Serbian half and half. So my grandparents come from four different parts of the world completely. And um, I speak French at home. That's my native tongue. I was educated in English and I learned Arabic growing up playing football at Nadi uh, Wahdat. It's called Wahdat Football Club. It's a refugee, it's a Palestinian refugee camp team in Jordan. So that's where I learned most of my Arabic. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned your mother is French Algerian, your father is Palestinian Serbian. So given that you're connected to various places around the world, uh, I'm sure you struggled with your identity, uh, as every Palestinian usually does. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about your experience with that? Yeah, um, I think every Palestinian, even you know, mixed people, not just Palestinians. I mean, are our people. It's kind of it's interesting because you have Palestinians that have been living in Chile for three generations, that are still connected to the land somehow, and they struggle with their identity as well because they speak Spanish, they grew up speaking Spanish, but their names are, you know, just to use my friend's name, like Firas, and they're like Chilean, but then they're also, you know, it's, 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 it's complicated because ethnicity, nationality, it's all a very new concept, it's like a hundred years only. And I think as humans, like we're still trying to figure it out because, you know, a lot of people say that, and this is a, a, ref, a shout out to Childish Gambino, but like, you know, we're, we're generation internet, like a lot of people grew up on the internet and you have people that come from Sweden that are super connected to American culture and like they're more American than they do Swedish, but they never left Sweden. So yeah, ethnicity, especially for Palestinians, is complicated because, or especially for me, because, you know, I'm genetically only one fourth Palestinian, but I feel super, super Palestinian. And then, and, and then some people will, 
will not feel Palestinian because they have privilege. And then they associate being Palestinian with being underprivileged, right? So it's like, especially like Arab Americans, they'll be like, you know, they'll go back to Palestine and they'll see the way that people are living and then they can't associate with that. But I don't think Palestine has, I don't think of it as a geographical entity. I think it, I think of it as kind of like an empire, a global empire of 11 million people. And when you think of it like that, you kind of understand the power that we hold collectively. And it's pretty inspiring. To yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I remember back at school, I went to school in London and a lot of my classmates were confused as to how I could be from Palestine, even though neither I nor my parents had ever been. And despite that, I felt yeah. extremely Palestinian. You know, there's even a running joke that I'd never let you forget it. And I think that's where the power of the diaspora really lies. The fact that we have this remarkable connection to Palestine, despite the physical detachment, is something that the rest of the world finds really inspiring and it draws them to our cause. Now you mentioned that you moved from Gaza to Jordan in 2007, which is a very common diaspora experience. Um, a majority of the population there is Palestinian. So can you tell us a little bit about what your connection to Jordan is like? Man, Jordan's cool. Like, Jordan is a nice place. Obviously, I think 60% of the population is uh, Palestinian. And I never, like, I, I feel it as home geographically, but I never really felt connected to the Jordanian nationality. <laughs> like, never. And it's funny because I actually, when I used to play football, I... Um, I made the national team, the Jordanian national team, as a goalkeeper, and I made I made it without them knowing that I was Palestinian. I hold I hold the Palestinian uh, passport, and it was funny because in order to make the national team, I had to give up my Palestinian passport, and my dad said no, so I never got to play with them. Yeah, it was funny. It's like you know the dual stuff. There's a lot of laws that discriminate against Palestinians uh, in Jordan. But I really like the place. It's, it, it, is, it is home in a sense. Yeah, and I think that's a very common feeling among Palestinians in Jordan. Um, it offers a physical place that we can call home. But as you say, we don't necessarily feel connected to the identity that it comes with. And I think that Palestinians experience that wherever they go. Um, growing up in London, I didn't feel English enough. But then back in Jordan, I didn't feel Jordanian enough either. So I was often left feeling a little bit out of place wherever I went. Um, and I want to move on to where you're at now. Uh, you're obviously a very talented musician. Um, do you think that that's your calling? Um, I don't know about personal calling, to be honest. Like, I, I love making music, but I do know that at some point I'm going to get involved in politics and government and education. Like, I think low-key i think that's my calling my calling is to go build universities build a nation because making music is cool and you can kind of you know shift the culture but i think that in order okay not to sound too like oh, but if you're going to talk about calling i think the calling is to create a society in palestine where you know liberation is at the forefront and we are a free society and free from oppression <clears throat> and to the way that I see that, you know, being 21 years old, you know, I obviously don't have the answers, but I do think that there is some sort of like institutional change that needs to happen that can't happen through music. That's amazing. Um, 
And I think a lot of Palestinians share this desire to improve our situation in the world. Um, but sometimes we can get caught up in it. So do you ever feel like you're putting too much pressure on yourself in terms of what you want to achieve for Palestine? No, no, relax. I think a lot of people struggle with meaning and, um, you know, finding that calling, as you said. And I think as Palestinians, we're blessed, man. Like we have it inscribed in our DNA, at least this generation, like, you know, since 1948, we kind of have that installed in us at a very early age. And there's a lot of ways to go about it, you know, like, for example, what you're doing is super important. What people like Noura Arafat do, super important. Muhammad Al-Kurd, super important. Shabjdeed, Tabur, Kulishili, like those guys are super important for the culture as well. So, um, yeah, what I say is like, with Palestinians, I think being the best version of themselves, like really, if we push ourselves to be the best version of ourselves, I think a lot of things will start to happen. I love that. I think that's a really positive way to frame things. Now, I won't ask for specifics about your political ambitions, but can you tell us a little bit about your plans for the future? I don't, I don't, I don't really want to like publicly speak on that, to be honest, because, you know, it's, it's not something that, um, it's not, it's something obviously in the future that I want to do. But what I will say is I do want to build the Palestinian Leadership University. That's like something that I will do probably in my 30s. The way I look at my life is like my 20s is music, building a platform, and then my 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever is actually making that change. Um, and I do want to build the Palestinian Leadership University modeled after the African Leadership University, where you don't have a major, you have a mission. And the mission is defined by a set of national problems that us as Palestinians or in the African Leadership University case, like pan-African problems. And then, you know, you go into this university and it's a two-year program and it's not based on lectures and stuff. It's, it's very, it's like solution-based, like problem-solution-based. And I think one of our biggest, biggest problems in the blood um, is leadership. It's a huge problem. And so, yeah, that's something that I'm going to tackle head on in the future. Okay, amazing. Um, and so sticking with your 20s for now then, can you tell us a little bit about where your love of music came from? Man, so it's, it's my dad, Rashid, shout out Rashid. He, um, when, I, when I was young, like my earliest memories of, of Gaza involved music, specifically Lenny Kravitz, Wyclef Jean, Timbaland, for some reason, and um, uh, Living Color, a lot of rock, and also Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson is huge for me. But the earliest, earliest is, is, is Lenny Kravitz. I don't know if you know him, but he's this like rock star. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just an early man, early age. I played piano from a very young age. You know, like Russian conservatory vibes, like right. stuff. And then I learned saxophone in sixth grade. I played for a while as well. And you know, I remember I, I always, when I was growing up in elementary school, like I did, and I, I wanted to be Michael Jackson. Like I did a <laughs> talent show. I, was, I did the dance, I did love. <laughs> I, it was crazy. Like, I was actually obsessed with that guy, mm. which, you know, looking back at it now, especially with all the stuff that is like surfacing about him, it's kind of weird, but the music just really, I don't know, it did something to me. And I remember when there was rumors that, he was actually Muslim. That was a funny thing in my life, bro. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen that. No. But he moved to like, I think he moved to like Bahrain for like a year or two. And, 
and there was like rumors that he was a Muslim and stuff. And okay. it was just so funny. I, I don't know. Music for me has always like speaks to something greater than myself. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and can you tell us about your earliest memory of music from when you were a child? Bro, it's in the car. So I grew up in um, my dad and my mom built a hotel in Gaza out of mud. My dad was an architect, interior designer, and they, they instead of, you know, cement was very hard to come by in Gaza. So, and my dad had studied in Italy. So they built this hotel. It's called the Dira, and it's still uh, living to this day a mud hotel. And it's beautiful. It's red. And I grew up in that hotel. And outside, I remember like in the car, my, one of my earliest memories is like just in the car, Len Kravitz, Let Love Rule, specifically that song. I think that's the earliest memory. Okay, I love that. Um, and continuing on that theme, what are you listening to today? What are you playing in the car? Man, I, now I listen to, um, okay, I'll be specific. I listen to a lot of Egyptian trap. Like Marwan Musa, Marwan Pablo. I love those guys so much, bro. And I listen to a lot of, obviously, like Palestinian rap, like Shabijdid and, and like Platinum, but also shout out like Jude Kev and Yusuf and like Nazareth and stuff. Those guys are fine. And I listen to a lot of French rap, Hamza. That's my main guy. Love that guy. And then a lot of RB, uh, like, you know, like Little Sims, well, she's not really R&B, but like that mixed with old, like new R&B mixed with old 90s R&B mixed with like raw, mixed with like Gunna. <laughs> okay, so a little bit of everything then. Yeah. Okay, so more generally then, what do you think about the power of music? And then turning to your own, is there something yours is trying to achieve? It's a great question, Miss Mina. I um, I don't want to say that I'm trying to achieve anything uh, with the music. I maybe what I am trying to achieve is building a community, and I've seen this where the songs I make speak to very specific experiences, kind of like you know, uh, representation in Hollywood, for example, for Arabs is kind of non-existent. I never had that kind of representation growing up and I'm seeing what it's doing to people that are my age, younger, older, where they're like, oh, I've never connected with something like this. Like, I never had someone say, I miss uh, all my friends living on the same time zone. Like, right. That's a problem that, you know, not a very specific set of people have. Um, so it's cool to be able to build that community that you know resonates with that message and kind of grow it slowly but surely and then i've always wanted to be like a rock star man so <laughs> right. I, that's just kind of like living out my childhood dream i decided last year uh in like june i think i was like because i was running a startup last year i was running two startups and i was doing content creation and I was doing music and i was doing just a lot of things and then I, I was like you know when you're 40 years old 50 years old looking back you're going to regret not going 100% in on the music. So ever since then, it's been full. 
So I've been catching up with all your music, learning every word, but my favorite so far has to be your latest release, Cage Birds Sing. Um, and you talk about mental health, especially men's mental health in the Arab world, and that can sometimes be a taboo topic. So where did that come from? What was the motivation? Man, that's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up. I love speaking about this. Um, I go to therapy and it's the best thing I've ever done for myself. And I, you know, I, you know, people ask me like, oh, like, are you okay? Like, are you depressed? Are you this? And it's funny because I'm literally the happiest and the most fulfilled I've ever been in my life. And the way that I kind of explain therapy to people that, you know, don't get it because it's taboo in our, in our region. People don't talk about it, especially in, 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 this, in the men's space. And the way I kind of talk about it is like, bro, you don't need to be obese to go to the gym. You know? <laughs> right. Same way that you don't need to be like rock bottom to go to therapy. Therapy is a way to understand yourself and why you behave certain ways and then kind of distance yourself from those thoughts and emotions. And actually, now I've named the, you know how you have a, a voice that speaks in your head? Mm. Yeah. So mine is called Ali. And though <laughs> Ali is so annoying, right? But, and, and he says things, self-doubt, all these things. But now I can separate myself from those thoughts and understand it's not me. And it just has helped me in every single aspect of my life. Literally, bro. It's, it's crazy. And it's, I recommend it to all my friends. And sometimes I think past six months, like I've been a bit pushy with it, you know, because I've seen the things that it's done for me. So I really want you know, people that I love to do it, but, you know, it's, it's, everyone is on their own timeline. I just really think that a lot of, you know, not to, not to kind of skip over all of the historical stuff, but a lot of the misogyny in the Middle East, mm. and, and specifically in our, in our country, the Levant, it comes from insecurity yeah. on men's, on the men's behalf. Yeah, there's a lot of insecurity that could be cured with, therapy mixed with obviously like I, you know i don't want to say therapy is an answer because no, there's no, a lot yeah. of economics but i think that therapy is is really it should be considered when you're talking about what is the solution to these cultural problems that we have i think a lot of it has to do with therapy and keeping things bottled in and not understanding yourself and yeah it's interesting you say that because i think that the stigma especially around men's mental health contributes to the failures of leadership that we so often see in the Middle East. I'm talking about this hyper-masculine, strong man approach to leadership that maybe can only be tempered when we address this crisis in men's mental health in the region. But as well as that, I want to talk about another one of my favorites, Haifan Tesla. Um, you talk about one of your role models, Edward Said. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what he means to you? Man, uh, that guy. So it's, it relates back to, to what I said about not having uh, representation, role models that I kind of identify with. Edward Said grew up in Egypt, in colonial Egypt. Yeah, Went to a British school. He, we're different in the sense that he, he spoke Arabic at home, but his experience, um, I read his, his memoir, Out of Place. His experience... And the way he thinks and stuff, I've never related to someone as much as I relate to Edward Said. And he's so, like, the bar is set so high 
And I'm trying to, you know, my, I think one of my life goals is to kind of reach that bar. And the reason why I say Adwal Saeed uh, in the front with Bella Hadid in the back is because I don't know if you've ever tried to read Orientalism, which is one of Adwal Saeed's great books. It is so dense. Like it's great, it's packed with information. It's obviously super important and super interesting to read, but it's very, very, very dense. And it's, you know, esoteric in the sense that it's meant for academic circles and discussions. And with Bella, I think we need both of those. We need the Bella Hadiths to disseminate information for millions and millions, but obviously we need the Adwa Saeeds. And I, the way I see myself right now is I'm trying to take those messages Rashid al-Falibi, Edward Saeed, like the great academics, and disseminate it in a way that's digestible for people. And Haifa and Tesla is like, it's a manifestation, yeah? Because I believe in, um, I believe it's some, my whole thing is 2048. I don't know if you've seen, but 2048 is something that like I've created. It's a world I live in. And 2048 is 100 years post-Palestine's occupation, obviously. And that 2048 to me is like the ideal world that is disconnected from reality that I want to live in, in 2048, 100. What does Palestine look like when it's free? People, people like to say free Palestine, but okay, what does that actually look like? And if you ask Marwan Abdul Hamid, I'm going to give it to you from a geopolitical perspective, you know, with like, oh, like Iran is involved and then you have the UAE versus Saudi, like, you know, all of these geopolitical and economic considerations that you have to take into account, super important, right? But then you ask Saint-Levant, what is free Palestine mean? I'm like, bro, like, we're all living together, Bilad al-Sham, you know, in the Levant, there's no borders, we're just vibing. And I think for me, at least, like, creatively, it's important to, like, have that way of expressing myself and kind of creating like a science fiction world that I want to live in. And that's Haifa and Tesla, yeah? Amazing. And yeah, I think it's really important to have, you know, influential figures, creatives, people like you, to make what are often seen as complex and scholarly discussions much more digestible. Um, and on that note, for those members of the diaspora who don't necessarily have a large platform, or at least yet, uh, what do you think is the best way for them to engage with the cause? Diaspora, I think what I would say to the diaspora, I don't want to, obviously I really don't want to speak on behalf of anyone but myself, but I actually ran a startup where we connected Palestinians in the diaspora to entrepreneurs back home for investment purposes, mentorship. And, you know, what I realized is that a lot of good can come from connecting people in positions of privilege in the diaspora, to have connections to networks, have connections to capital, connecting them with the people in Palestine. Because a lot of times, Palestine, Qadiyya, it gets like romanticized and people forget that there's individuals living in that land that need to eat, that need to put food on the table, and need to you know, provide for their families. It's not just like, oh, Palestine, you know, is a thing for seven days and then you kind of forget about it. Like, no, there's people that are living there. And I think, as diasporas, an easy way to get involved without just trying to, like posting on your story is, I personally don't find a lot of value in it, you know? And I think a really cool way to get involved is to, to take what interests you 
right? So for you, for example, conversations like this, um, communications, let's say for someone else, it's, you know, healthcare, like someone is really into healthcare, getting, like, looking at those sectors in Palestine and trying to maybe find different ways of looking at things, solutions, connecting people. Like, I think that when you connect industry and sector-wise, and things that you're very interested in, they're, they're, like we can actually move forward quite a lot because there's a lot of Palestinians that are you know, wealthy, connected, and I think it's a shame that they're, they're not using that privilege to kind of make the life of, to make us, to kind of try and make a resemblance of, I say, development under occupation, which is super difficult to do, obviously. But I think there's a lot of work that can be done there, connecting the diasporas to people back home, for sure. That's great. So we've spoken about all the amazing things that you've already achieved or are currently working on, as well as the things you hope to achieve in the future. Um, so I'd like to come to a close um, with some self-reflection, I guess. So I wonder what's something that your younger self wouldn't believe about you today? The fact that I'm going to do a show in like Toronto and Montreal, that's crazy. I can't wait, though. I've always wanted to perform and perform to like people that know the, the lyrics. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just never thought I'd be doing music like this and I would have people actually listen. That sounds super exciting. Um, do you have any details you can give us about the shows or? No, I don't because we're still, we're still, no, no, we're still figuring out the details and logistics. So I don't, but I know it's going to happen. Okay. So I won't press you for any further details then, but it's great to hear how much progress you've made as an artist. Um, and so looking at where you're at now, what title would you give this chapter of your life? Okay, I'm not going to give you the name of the chapter, but I'm going to give you kind of like a description of what I see it. It's for sure like related to growth, like both spiritual, mental, physical, and like building, yeah? Like right now I'm, I'm building. So, and I think it's sick. I love building things. And right now I'm building a career in music. And it's really, it's so, I'm so blessed, you know. So I think, yeah, building, growth, that kind of vibe. I don't know about a name. I'd have to think about it more. And on that note, Marwan, thank you so much for being a part of this. Yes, Mina, thank you so much for having me on. You're a great uh, interviewer. That was sick. Well, it's amazing to see everything that you're doing to help shift the narratives around Palestinian identity. And we hope to hear more from you really soon. Legend. Thank you so much. Stay tuned to Conversations Over Coffee for more from inspiring Palestinians. Hey.